podcast has bad words. <laughs> You're listening to the Minimalist Private Podcast. I'm here with Bex and Ryan. And uh, today we're going to talk about how every day is a gift. <laughs> Amen to that. Presents is the best present. Indeed. We're going to talk a lot about yeah. gifts and gift giving. We have a bunch of surprise questions Heck as yeah. well. I wanted to start with some more about less. I was originally going to read the gift getting rule from Love People Use Things, but you can find that in there if you're interested. I wanted to read this instead. This is an excerpt. Anthony DeMello just had a new book come out, which is fascinating because he's been dead for 30 years. Hmm. Uh, this book is called Stop Fixing Yourself. And they're really short chapters, one or two pages. And this is from the very first part of the book. This is like a short essay called Search Inside Yourself. Contrary to what your culture and religion have taught you, nothing, but absolutely nothing of the world can make you happy. The moment you see that, you will stop moving from one job to another, one friend or lover to another, one place, one spiritual technique, one guru to another. None of these things can give you a single minute of happiness. They can only offer you a temporary thrill, a pleasure that initially grows in intensity, then turns into pain if you lose them and boredom if you keep them. Pause that for a second. That's the the dusty Lamborghini from the minimal episode. Yeah. It, it's a thrill, right? right. What, a, what, an, what a perfect example of this. It's a temporary thrill. It's a pleasure that grows with intensity. At first, you get out there on the road and, and, and you're flying down Sunset Boulevard for some reason. <laughs> but then it turns into pain if you lose it. You crash the car. Oh my God, what have I done? Yeah. Or you don't crash it and you keep it and it's like, yeah, I mean, that was fun, but like, it's boring, really. I mean, what, how many times can I drive down Sunset Boulevard real mm. fast and rev the engine? Like, it's not the, it's not the same. It, the, the diminishing returns, right? Mm. Return to text. Think, uh, think of the numberless persons and things that so excited you in the past. What happened? In every single instance, they ended up causing you suffering or boredom. Did they not? It is absolutely essential that you understand this because until you do, there is no question of your ever finding the kingdom of joy. Search within your heart and you will find something there that will make it possible for you to understand a spark of disenchantment and discontent. I love that. A spark of disenchantment and discontent. If fanned into a flame... It will become a raging forest fire that will burn up the whole of the illusory world you are living in, thereby unveiling your wondering eyes the kingdom by thereby unveiling to your wondering eyes the kingdom that you have always unsuspectedly lived in. So what he's saying here is quite often we we feel that boredom, we feel that discontent, we feel that that displeasure. And instead of like noticing what it is and fanning that flame to realize the absurdity of constantly seeking, pursuing pleasure, whether it's gift giving or things or relationships, whatever it is, constantly pursuing pleasure, we cover it up with some other ephemeral pleasure. As soon as we get bored, it's you know, now we have the, the device in our pocket yeah. that will uh, constantly give us new stimuli. Yeah. And we're constantly covering up. We never let that 
flame go out of control. We're constantly sort of uh, tamping down this flame mm. that won't go away unless we just let it burn out. We understand it for what it actually is. Stimuli device. Yes. <laughs> that's what's that's what's in our pockets. Yeah, the 79th organ, as the uh, chief evangelist of Google calls it. People have a vague idea as to what this thing is, and they read books and consult gurus in an attempt to find out what they must do to gain that elusive thing called holiness or spirituality or whatever you want to call it. They pick up all sorts of methods, techniques, spiritual exercises, and formulas. Then, after years of fruitless striving, they become discouraged and confused and wonder what went wrong. Most often, people blame themselves. They think, if I'd only practice those techniques more regularly, or if I'd become more fervent or more generous, then I might have made it. But made what? They have no clear idea as to what the holiness or enlightenment that they seek is. But they certainly know that their lives are still unhappy. They still become anxious, insecure, and fearful, resentful, and unforgiving, grasping, ambitious, and manipulative of people. Once again, they throw themselves with renewed vigor into what they think they need to do to fix themselves and attain their goal. Hmm. You and I have talked about this quite a bit, Ryan. With It becomes this endless cycle, the lather, rinse, repeat thing you talked about in Less Is Now. It made me think about you have someone who is like overstimulated. They're living a very stimulated life. Right. And they are discontent. So they're assuming it's because they're missing something. Yeah. So they're, they're re- doing it wrong. So yeah. So they're reaching for more s- stimulus. Mm-hmm. And that the problem is exactly what he just laid out, what Demello just laid out, mm-hmm. was that that constant chase actually brings discontent because if you're overstimulated, more stimulation is not going to make you happier. Yes. And uh, it's actually, that, that chapter helped me have a new respect and understanding of why minimalism is a lifestyle that can bring, maybe not happiness, mm-hmm. but it can at least bring peace. Yes. And I think it's impossible, correct me if I'm wrong, y'all, but I think it's impossible to be happy without being peaceful first. Oh, yes. In fact, I think... You know, Kapil Gupta says that the problem with communicating with words is all the good ones are already taken. Mm. It, meaning, like, if I say happiness, yeah, I might mean pleasure, and you might mean peace, mm. or someone else might mean eudaimonia. Or, you know, there's some, they have some vague definition around it. But what you're talking about is the essence of that. And so someone like Anthony DeMello might say happiness, yeah. And it might mean peace to you, but we're talking about the same thing. Yeah. And if we hold those definitions loosely, we understand there is a distinct difference between Ooh. stimulus yeah. and, and pleasure and, and these things. Not that there's anything wrong with pleasure, Not at all. but the chase of pleasure. You can't, here's the difference. You can pursue pleasure. Yes. You can't pursue happiness. Right. You, happiness is only uncovered. Peace is only uncovered. Mm-hmm. You can't do peace. Yeah. Hey, Ryan, let's uh, let's go uh, have an hour of peace together. Uh, right. But, but right. We got here's the seven steps to do peace. <laughs> You'd be like, well, that, that doesn't make it. First, it's our next book. In a weird way, it would make sense because <laughs> yeah. our culture has said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's seven steps for everything. Yeah. 
Yeah. And if I just do X, Y, and Z, then I'll be peaceful. Then I'll be ha- no happiness is not something you do. Peace is not something that you do. And how does that? What does that have to do with gift giving? We were talking about gift giving today. Yeah. Is well, it has two things to do with gift giving. One is you know Ryan illuminated the the cliche, which there's a lot of profundity in it. Presence is the best present, mm-hmm. but he doesn't mean that prescriptively. No. And so if you're listening to this, you're like, okay, well, be present. Okay, good luck. Go ahead and try that. Right. Try to go be present. Mm. Tell me if you know the seven steps for being present. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. Even meditation doesn't make you present. It may show you. It, it could bring great awareness to, un, to how unpresent you are. Mm-hmm. Anthony DeMello often says, like, uh, I can't show you how to be happy. I can show you all the things that are making you unhappy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and when you think about it that way, it's like, okay, yes, we're talking about presence here. We're not talking about presence. Right. And, and to be with you two right now is a type of gift. And it's so much better than at least better for me than receiving some sort of physical good yeah. because I'm not opposed to physical goods. We we're wearing physical goods. We're standing at physical goods. We're speaking into physical goods. Mm-hmm. And I agree with what Ryan said a moment ago. Like this shows that you know, sort of the promise of minimalism in mm-hmm. a way, yeah. but also I think it can expose the miscommunication, misunderstanding of minimalism people often start with they think it's about decluttering and i get that because that's the that's what our culture has told us there are steps and 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 things we must do and so here are the five ways to declutter your home Mm -hmm. okay that's helpful in a rudimentary sense if you don't know how to declutter something or you want some basic tips and tricks no problem with that but if you think the stuff is going to make you happy you're mistaken. Mm. And if you think the getting rid of the stuff is going to make you happy, you are mistaken. You can let go of the stuff without letting go of the attachment to the stuff. Yeah. And you actually hurt more as a result. Yeah. Let's let's talk about happiness and what it like what it what is your all's definition of happiness? Because I just I just had a new definition pop into my head and really it's I'd like to hear it. It's uh so it's I would always say before this conversation, I would say happiness is like when I think of happiness, I think of joy, right? Mm-hmm. So joy is uh, you know experience with others. It's it's a good feeling, but it's not it's not a high. It's just uh, you know it's an appreciation for life. So you know being happy for me, uh, the definition would be having an appreciation for the moment. For for the for the, the the present time that you're in, like that to me is what people are searching for. Mm-hmm. They're not because it's not just not feeling pain, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could feel nothing in the moment, mm-hmm. but that's not necessarily joyful or happy. Mm-hmm. But like actually being here in the moment and being like, wow, like I'm really glad to be alive right now in this moment. Like to me, that is that's kind of how I look at happiness. I like what Jamie Wheel said on our podcast. We did a podcast with him. And uh, the private podcast episode was called Let the Mystery Be the Mystery. The Mm. public podcast was called Finding Meaning. And in one of those episodes, he said something profound, which I think I agree with. He he said that that happiness is peace in motion. Peace is happiness at rest. Mm. Yeah. And and, and I think I, I think of that so so it's almost like happiness is an the active form of peace in a way. Yeah. As opposed to it being the the um 
good form of pleasure. Right. Because pleasure is not good or bad. Happiness is not good or bad. Right. In fact, if it was, then really misery would be good because mm -hmm. that's all we ever really are going after anyway. We're constantly making ourselves miserable or we're running away from misery. Yeah. In fact, we rarely ever pursue happiness. We we run away from misery in see, in pursuit of pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Vax, anything to add to that? No, I really liked those conversations with Jamie Wheel. I thought they were beautiful and insightful. Yes. And would be a nice sort of augment to this. Indeed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's, uh, he's brilliant. He, he has a new book out called uh, Recap Recapture the Rapture, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's awesome. I hope to have him back on. Yeah, again. I think we will. I was texting with him the other day, and he said he'll be back in L.A. soon. Yeah. So, yeah, the... Uh, yeah, the definition of happiness, there's also something, it's kind of like when you talk about, you know, what is love, what is happiness, what is joy, it's like, you know, it's the whole butterfly thing. Mm -hmm. Like you try to like pin it down and examine it, like you really, yeah. you kind of lose the the beauty of it. Yeah. There's no mechanical way to be happy. There's not yes. a mechanical way to experience love. Yes. Yeah. Kapil Gupta often <clears throat> says definitions go nowhere. Yeah. And, and really what he means by that is like, we can intellectualize something but that's doing the same thing. That's pinning down the butterfly. Right. If you if you study the butterfly, you can you have to kill it. Yeah. Right. And in order to study happiness, you kind of kill it. It's mm -hmm. like it's like what is the what are the five steps to paint a Picasso painting? Mm -hmm. well, that that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Step one: be Picasso. <laughs> right. <laughs> Step two: repeat. Right. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say that like even when you were initially saying like, oh, the definition of happiness. Like I got this little panic in my chest, like, oh shit, like I don't have a definition of happiness. <laughs> yes. And also like for me, that feels fine. Like I don't need a definition of happiness. Mm. Like I just feel it and I know when it comes up for me and it's like, and I can appreciate it like in the moment or right. whatever. Um, but yeah, it's it's been nice to sort of detach myself from a need for definitions for things and, and go more on on sort of a gut level instinct and intuition on how I'm feeling in any given moment and what led me there and if I'm not feeling like I'm in a good place mm -hmm. it's like okay so what can we tinker with to to feel a little bit better maybe to have more peace or yeah to to relieve some pain or whatever yeah but you can affect happiness but that's not happiness mm -hmm. right and so the reason that the definitional side of things starts to break down is is you can find a quote-unquote happy person and try to affect that like if i see ryan he's really happy and I, and I notice like oh you know what i noticed four things that ryan was doing <laughs> he was smiling here's how a happy person acts his eyes were 20 percent wider his heart was beating 30 percent faster yeah. and he was uh, walking at a moderate pace mm -hmm. oh if i do those four things i must be happy then right and i could do all of those things and still be miserable mm. and it's because i would be missing the essence even though i i would have the form of happiness right yeah. now don't get me wrong there are some things we can do with our psychology with our physiology that will change our state in the moment. And so I, I don't want to bypass that either. If you are feeling uh, down or anytime I'm feeling down, it makes sense to go run around the block once. Or you know, I remember we had we had employees back in the corporate world and they were like they were having a bad sales there. Something was just off. I'd, I'd ask them to go smile at themselves in the mirror for 10 seconds yeah. and, and without anyone looking. Mm -hmm. And the absurdity of that would kind of make them laugh even before they, they went to do it. And 
you're really what that's about is breaking a pattern, a, a self-destructive pattern of misery. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and so that's not actually making them happy though. It's it's helping them recognize that pattern of misery. Because mm. I can't make you happy. I, I can help you understand when you're miserable or what misery looks like. But again, back to Anthony DeMello, I, I can't show you what happiness is, but you know when you feel it. And, and, and so regardless of what your definition is, if you're listening to this or watching this at, at home, the it, that doesn't matter. When you're happy, you know you're happy. And you know there are certain things. You, know, you can call it a flow state. You can call it a, you, you, you can call it mindfulness. You can call it a state of no mind. Whatever it is for you, peace, joy, contentment, eudaimonia, uh, ataraxia. There, there, there are all of these different sort of terms, right? And, and we wrote about them quite a bit and love people use things and, and trying to sort of delineate between what different people mean by happiness. In fact, there's this, uh, this section here. I'll read this really quick because I think it, this, uh, I talk about how we have the language problem, right? And, mm. and when I say I love Ryan, but I also you know, love coffee. Yeah. They're two different things, right? Yeah. And so what I, what I say in the book is the Inuit dialect spoken in Canada's Nunavut region has at least 53 words to describe snow. Mm-hmm. Imagine if we had even half that for love. Mm. Instead, in our culture, we stretch love mm. to apply to people and pickup trucks, friends and fried chicken, lovers and Louis Vuitton bags. But when you extend anything beyond its natural limits, it loses its strength. This mm. is especially true with love. Yeah. And that's the problem here. That's the love language thing, Ryan. During the break, you were talking about love languages. Yeah. Man, um, I do want to talk about gift giving being a love language, but it's interesting because like, I don't know, man, because I'm not, I'm not trying to disagree as much as just explore that word love because there's a, there's the denotative form and then the connotative form. And if I say, oh man, I love this coffee. Right. I mean, we all know that the connotation there is I'm really enjoying this coffee. Yes. So, I mean, you know, there are, and, and and it's unfortunate. I agree that like it's this commonly accepted colloquialism that we all say and we all understand the connotation. Mm-hmm. But it it does, in a way, I could see taking away from you know what true love is if you're just loving everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, in a way, yeah. So love is never conditional, right? And so so there, there's no such thing as conditional love is an is actually an an oxymoron, right? What is uh, conditional, conditional love, love yeah. is an oxymoron. There's right. conditional like, sure. And by the way, like is just in a relationship with people. Mm-hmm. Like is just as if not more important than love. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I joke around all the time. Like I'm like, yeah, Mariah and I, we love each other. But more importantly, we like each other. Yes. Because <laughs> how many people are in love but don't like right. <laughs> each other? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's, so there's the compatibility component. Mm-hmm. There is the uh, chemistry component as well. Those all feed into the like side of things. Mm-hmm. And compatibility is much more difficult than love. Mm. Because I love Jordan and Sean. I wouldn't want to live with them. Mm. Right, I love Bex, and I don't want to live with her full time. <laughs> we have a kid, and we're married, and I don't want to live with her all the time. And, and so, and so, that's not a her thing; it's a me thing, right? And, and so, understanding that, like, in a relationship between two people, 
is really important. So if we're talking about like languages, we're talking about affection. Mm -hmm. uh, here's the problem. We mistake real love. Mm. Back to Anthony DeMello, he would say that, that, that you know, love is like a, a tree that provides shade to people. Mm. A, a tree provides shade to everyone, mm. even those who intend to cut it down. Mm. That's love. Mm. So it can't be that, oh yeah, you know what? You, uh, you said some sort of snarky comment to me. Now I don't love you anymore. Right. That could be, a, I dislike that. And that's okay. I'm allowed to dislike that. Yeah. But love doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. Real love is synonymous with awareness, with seeing the world for how it is, not for how we wish things or people or circumstances would be. It's funny how this conversation about love is, it feels very similar to what we were just having with happiness. Yes. It's, it's the butterfly thing again. What's the essence of it, right? Yeah. And so I agree with what you're saying, Ryan, with the, the essence is when you say, yeah, I love this cup of coffee, even though it's not a way that you would generally talk, but if you did say that, I know that you would mean something different from, I love Mariah. Right, right. And if you were to be like, oh, you love that cup of coffee? Why don't you marry it? I mean, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, you would never do that. That wouldn't get it. Well, it's the same thing with like, when someone says, "Hey, uh, hey, can I can I use the bathroom?" I don't know, can you? Right. It's right. like, all right, come on now. Like, yes. <laughs> we understand what we're trying to say here. Right. Except with love, I think the the thing that's different with love is we start to get really confused. It, hence, love people use things yeah. is unfortunately what we've done is we flip flop the two. Mm. We've become transactional in our relationships, and I get it. You know, sometimes we have to. We in a society that we live in. If we decide we all want to live in this society. I go to the grocery store and we have a transaction. Mm. But even there, I can love the person. I mean, you wouldn't believe how nice people across the street at the coffee shop treat me. They barely even know me, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or the, the, the person at the grocery store checkout line. Mm -hmm. Because I'll always thank them for being here and they'll ask me how I'm doing and I'll say outstanding. Like We'll get into a very small conversation. It's not a long drawn out thing. But it's, I see you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this isn't just a trans. Yes, it is a transaction, but this isn't just a transaction. You move through the world in a loving way. That's, that, that's fascinating. So, so, uh, uh, without, so what's the, the thing we talk about on your podcast with the, the I'm not in love, love is in me. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it's an old, an old apathom, but mm -hmm. like it's, it's, it, what is fascinating about that is we, I think so often we, we try to, fall in love mm. well, instead of just being loving mm -hmm. yeah because being loving or as you said walking through the world in a loving way mm. displaying the loves and, and really all that is again is seeing the world for what it is that's the essence of love that's not a definition but the essence is is simply uh, seeing things for how they are people warts and all yeah. not trying to change them trying to change someone is uh, can be a violent act in a way. I mean, it can literally be a violent act if yeah. I want to change you physically. Yeah. Right. You know, speaking of violent acts, we were talking before we started recording about how, you know, what if my love language was uh, punching someone in the face or choking someone, which legitimately mm -hmm. some people have, you know, that kink. This isn't king shaming. It just, it is. Yeah. But, or a UFC fighter. Maybe that, that's how they could Or a UFC fighter, right, exactly. So could you imagine if I came up to you and started choking you and I'm like, I love you. Like uh, I'm getting a little turned on. Right, exactly. <laughs> but you know, but you're going to look at me like, oh, you're insane. 
And yes. then imagine me taking it a step further and being like, what do you mean it's insane? This is my love language. This is how I express love. How dare you not respect the way I express love? And so so the, the person for me, would be, uh, um, from my end, would be like, but this is hurting me. Well, yeah, so when you he- so so is when you heap a bunch of gifts, useless objects yes. onto me. It is it's taking away my yeah. time, my attention. It's not respecting me. So yeah. no, it doesn't hurt me physically, but it may hurt me emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, that's a you know, the choking thing is a, you know, parodic example of you know, showing love in in a, in a really odd way, mm-hmm. but gift giving isn't that far off because of what you're saying. If that that book about love language, I'm not, I haven't read it, um, mainly because I mean, just the idea of gift giving being a love language drives me absolutely insane. Um, but you know, I'm imagining that book is about helping one explore the preferences of their partner, yes, or or, or, or the preferences of others. So if someone reads that book and says, oh, my love language is gift giving, that doesn't mean that now you can just give gifts whenever you want. What that means is that when people want to show you love, you will accept a gift and you will recognize that as a token of love, whether that's you know right or wrong, good or bad, whatever it is, there's no judgment here. Mm-hmm. But to use the love language uh, as an excuse <laughs> to do what you want. I remember someone asked this in... Uh, Gold Coast, Australia. He was like, well, I don't know what to do because, you know, my, my love language is gift giving. So, how, you know, how can I express love um, if, if, you know, if, if you're saying I shouldn't just like give, you know, gifts, whether, you know, someone uses it or not. It's like, well, you're not asking, you're asking the wrong question. The question is, is how does that other person receive love? That's the question. Yes. Not how do you want to give love? Uh, how does the other person want to get love? Right. And and, and again, we're we're mistaking love for for these other things. It's it, we, here's a better way to even put it. These are uh, affections. Right? This is a way to show affection, right? Mm-hmm. And for you, gift giving could be a way to show affection. Sure. It's not a way to show that how you see the. Clearly, it's not showing how you you're seeing how things are. If you want to give someone a gift, it's misunderstanding love altogether. If they don't want to receive a gift and you still want to give it to them, right. and, and but if your affection language, so to speak, is mm-hmm. gift giving, then as you said, understanding the receiver is going to help you communicate whatever you want to communicate, and that is way more meaningful. Understanding the receiver than understanding what you want. Yes. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the compassionate thing to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the other thing too, and we said this in the minimal podcast, but if your love language is gift giving, that's, you know, if that's what you consider it, there's no judgment here. Great. Consider yours. But it's not, it, I, I would ask you to question, is it really like the physical object or is it the contribution? Because you could... I remember someone wrote, tweeted at us, so like, you know, I don't like what you guys say about gift giving because my, or about love language because gift giving is my love language and I love it when my husband will do laundry and clean the house and he really like just goes out of his way to contribute around the house. And I, and I was like, yeah, that's exactly it. It's the contribution. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not the act, it's not the actual doing the laundry. It's not the actual cleaning. It's the respect and appreciation your husband is showing to you through this contribution of going above and beyond to contribute, you know, beyond himself in a meaningful way. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's a beautiful reframe. I actually think that um, one thing we don't talk about enough in society is the fact that, like, a lot of advice and a lot of books 
are just garbage. <laughs> like, and I don't mean this like in a mean way or anything no, like that. But it gives I would say us, that about our book. I mean, to us, someone, it's garbage. Yeah. <laughs> it gives us ideas that we then like cling so tightly to these these concepts that we cling so tightly to. Like, gift giving is my love language. No, contribution is your love language, right. or feeling seen and appreciated yeah. is your love language. Yeah, and so yeah, I, I'm glad you said that because that thought was just floating around in my head and you articulated it beautifully yeah thanks um yeah it's interesting just because somebody wrote, wrote a book on something doesn't make it factual right, right. <laughs> yeah. it doesn't make it true right yeah. um it can be very well explained and you can agree with the sentiment and the perspective but i can't think of you know besides science you know a physics textbook <laughs> like well, and even that changes all the time yeah like by the time a a physics textbook is written mm-hmm. it's kind of obsolete yeah. right yeah absolutely. and so yeah there are a lot of facts in books there's not a whole lot of truth in books yeah and in fact i i would say that virtually all books at this point are are full of nonsense what did you tell jeanette mccurdy when she was on she said something about how she's like i feel like my work is trash and you were like it is trash yes <laughs> but that goes for our work too our work yeah. is trash yeah. yes like it is what it is. Um, well, and, yeah. and the thing I was trying to, to, to talk to her about is, it, I, mean, I think in the context of what we're doing is, yeah, when you are, especially the, what Anne Lamont would call the shitty first draft, right? The SFD, everything that you, it's in your head, it's perfect. But as soon as you get it onto the page, it's imperfect, right? Yeah. And so there's going to be so much sediment that you produce if you produce anything meaningful. I mean, yeah. a lot of people use things, went through nine drafts, yeah. and it's still an imperfect book, right? And so, uh, and, and yet it's the best I could do given the resources, the time frame, the, the state of mind that you and I were in when we, when we wrote the book. Mm-hmm. I will say this. To, to wrap up this discussion about gift giving being a love language, you can't do love. Just like you can't do happiness and peace, love is not something you can do. You can be loving, but you can't do love. You can walk through the world with a loving demeanor. You can see people for who they are, but as soon as you try to change the world, that is not an act of love. Mm. And even the person whose affection language is having the person clean the house and they perceive that as a gift. Yeah. Everything's a gift. You know, this mm-hmm. moment is a gift. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so that's fine if, if you're perceiving it that way, but if it's a exchange of goods and services, that's not a love language at all. That's a transaction. Love is not a transaction. Mm. It is transcendent. Transactionallove.com. so you can tweet that podcast john yeah we're in our new studio right now since we're a half hour into this episode i thought we'd talk about this real quick maybe you're watching the video version if you're one of the true fans or the vips we had a few slots open up in the vip uh, tier so if you are interested in becoming a vip you can check that out uh patreon.com slash the minimalist you can always change your tier upgrade whatever uh and then we have the, the video version for the true fans as well i think 100 or 200 people left in that tier those are both capped at 100 people and 250 people respectively and uh, we are here in the studio space. Thank you, patrons, for making this possible. Yeah. We're in this beautiful mm-hmm. brand new space, and it is a disaster right now. <laughs> you can't see it on camera because we have this beautiful wrapping paper behind oh us. Oh, my God, yeah. It's a gift. Yes, it is a gift. 
Yes. But it feels like a cluttered basement right now. <laughs> Ryan, this is not what I meant when I said gift giving is a love language. <laughs> I don't want this gift. Now we, uh, so in order to, we're sort of, we moved out of the temporary space. So the building we were in last year, and we were there for three years, we, we, we moved out to Hollywood uh, in 2017 because we built a, the podcast studio in Hollywood, on Hollywood Boulevard. And it was perfect space for us at the time. Yeah. It was just right. And that whole building we were in closed down. Yeah, uh, We had an agreement with WeWork. It was the original WeWork on the West Coast. And they were awesome for three years. They were awful the last six months we worked with Something's them. Something's up with that company, man. Yeah. But you know what this makes me think about? Um, we talk about job security a lot and how there is no such thing as security. And when you're reliant on uh, someone else to give you your paycheck, like there's, you're always going to be insecure. That's right. And it's funny because us working for ourselves, because we were, we were relying on WeWork, mm-hmm. I think personally, I mistakenly fell into that trap of security. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And man, when it like, when it, yeah, when they started acting the way they acted. They started um, lying to us in writing. <laughs> oh man, this is the uh, not recommended uh, part of our podcast. Yeah, we do not the- recommend WeWork. Right. They are they are not recommended i'll just leave it at that <laughs> yeah uh, well here, here's what i'll say i'll just I, i'm not going to tell you what to do but uh in terms of what is the truth they lied to us on three different occasions twice in writing yeah and and so when it came time to move out of that old studio that we were in we, they found us a new studio space in west hollywood mm-hmm. and it was great they were going to convert it for us and it was wonderful we got it all in writing and then the day before we were moving in they're like Oh uh, yeah, uh, we weren't able to do that. I said, "What do you mean? We, like, we've already measure, made measurements and we've planned to Dude. move everything, and so they they totally screwed us over. And so we've spent the last few months <laughs> finding the space we're in now. And, and thankfully, it yeah. all worked out for the better. Yes. We found a phenomenal space. Yeah, I'm so I'm so thrilled with this. I can't wait till we get it all fixed up with Beulah's recommendations. And yes, so much better than the dumpster fire that we work <laughs> offered us. I have not seen that documentary yet on Hulu. I still need to watch that, but. Uh, it's eye-opening dude i mean they yeah it is a dumpster fire over there yes Mm -hmm. jordan brought up something really fast and he's our filmmaker here and he he was saying that uh this feels like the first time where we're actually in our own like we have our own home yeah so to speak and we're still beholden to like a landlord yeah right yeah so i don't want to get too comfortable (laughs) no for sure right and (laughs) i think that's the thing it's holding anything loosely right yeah because what if the building burns down yeah, mm-hmm. then Great it, point. it is what it is, Even right? If we owned it, yeah. Yeah, we have insurance, and if the building burns down, we'll be okay mm-hmm. as long as we're not in it. Um, right. Then, yeah, but but still, yeah, we'd have to. So we can't say, oh, this is how, because everything's on a long, long enough timeline is impermanent. Right. And here we are in our new permanent space. I do agree with uh, Jordan, though. This does feel like home. I yes. agree with that sentiment. Yeah. And so we have the studio here. It's probably. They listed as 650 square feet. I think we measured it as at, uh, they listed as 750 square feet. I think it's 600 square feet. We're also paying for common areas as well. Yeah. So there's like a nice little common area outside where we can sit down and do work. It's like a patio. What, what, what were you calling? You weren't calling it a patio, Sean. You were calling it like a, a terrace. What would that be? Oh yeah. Mm. Is that what, <laughs> cafe? Yeah. yeah. It's it's like this nice outdoor area. Yeah, and uh, and then we have uh, what we're calling the writer's room downstairs because, uh, well, that sounds way sexier than storage closet. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I like about this place, too, is uh, the tenants in here. Like, tenants are really 
awesome. There are a couple of minimalist architects downstairs. Yeah, a lot of cool people in this building. Um, yeah, I mean, I had an issue the other day with parking, and like I was very easily able to communicate the issue we had, and like there it was there was no. It was just it's just nice to have tenants who care and respect one another. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I I feel I feel the love in in this place. Yeah, and uh, there's a sense of care uh, here. And what's nice is we have some time to build this out. So temporarily, we have this gift wrapping paper behind us, which is really just these seamless backdrops, and it's covering up literally like all the old sound panels from our old space. So yeah. our old studio, which we had customized sound panels for that studio, well, they're not going to work in this space for various reasons. So we're having new custom panels that are being built for this studio space. They haven't been manufactured yet because the fabric that we needed is, is on back order. So mm. we, we got a very specific whisper white is the, the fabric. And um, double wrapped. Yes, white. it is double wrapped. Yeah. And, and then uh, Beulah is working on a giant piece of art for this wall here behind Beck's. And we have this custom desk that is being built from the UK and that's going to take about eight weeks to build and probably four weeks to ship to us. Mm. So we're three months out from having that custom desk. So by this time next year, <laughs> this uh, is going to be all complete. Yeah, I think by the end of September, we'll be all complete, but it'll be various stages. So right now we have this sort of gift wrap stage. We're going to replace this tabletop with a white tabletop in the meantime, because this is going to end up in the writer's room downstairs. Mm. Who knows? We may even do how to write better retreats or some other thing. Uh, in the future, once everything becomes a bit more laxed, we have a room where we can we could throw some people writing for a day and, and, and work on some stuff. Mm. So that'll be separate from this studio space. But we're going to build this out. We're going to make it beautiful. We're going to make it feel as though it is the home of the minimalists. Mm. And what I like about Buell's aesthetic, it sort of takes the aesthetic that you're used to with the minimalist, the sort of starkness, and it adds a a touch of personality to it. And there's this feminine personality that, that she puts into it, but she also has a, a better understanding of color than anyone I've ever talked to. Yeah. When, yeah her, like just, yeah, her Instagram is like really beautiful. I kept seeing her post these stories of, uh, I'm working on something special. It's a surprise. Can you guess what it is? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm like, I wonder what she's talking about. Like, <laughs> and then I saw someone respond. They're like, oh, you're working on something for the minimalist? And she was like, yeah, you're right. And I was like, oh, like that's what she was talking about. <laughs> you're like, we're special? We're special, okay. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, her and I have been working on you know, just getting the, the colors just right. And so it's going to take some, some time, obviously, because... Sean's already you're working on the sound. We're gonna we're getting a little bit more equipment. Eventually, we may even be shooting this in 4K when the time comes, and you'll be able to see every pimple and boil on my face. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you always adjust up the quality to 1080p, bare minimum. So funny, man. You don't want to watch this at 760 or what a 280 or whatever people are watching this at. Uh, yeah, you always want to watch 1080. And uh, in doing that, you'll have the high, highest video quality. But mm. I do think a lot of podcast is moving more to the video side. Personally, I enjoy listening to audio podcasts. Yeah. And we're going to continue doing that and providing the audio experience for you. But one of the ways that we can get the message in front of the people who are eager to hear a message of living with less is by having this new studio space and appealing to the visual side of things, the, mm-hmm. the aesthetic side of things. So we're going to bring Evan in, I think, next week to deal with the lights. He worked on lighting for Lesses Now. And uh, he also worked on the lighting for the stuff we've been filming this last week. We can talk about that for the patrons. Uh, we're working on two new film projects. 
Uh, let's keep this between us, though. This isn't for public consumption. Mm-hmm. We're working on a documentary called Advertisements Suck. Yes. It's uh, it's about uh, animal cruelty and... Uh, <laughs> No, it's actually about, I mean, it's about <sighs> advertisement suck. Uh, and, you know, it's been our ethos for a long time. It's funny, Ryan, I was thinking about something. We were talking about cancel culture this past week. Mm. And, and you know, there's, there are people who are being quote-unquote canceled. And we just lump everyone into the same sort of group. It's like, there are some people who are true predators who, right. you know, it's not canceling. It's just like, um, they're criminals and let's right. either put them in jail or... They no longer get the rewards of the life they've been granted because they aren't the person they pretended they were, right? right. Mm. But then you have other people who had some sort of mistake or indiscretion or maybe they made a poor decision once upon a time in their life and they're being quote-unquote canceled, whatever that means. But it's not actual, it's not cancel culture. It's advertising culture. Mm. It's being beholden to advertisers means you don't get to be on Bravo or MTV or whatever because... Well, or CNN or ESPN, whatever the thing is, because they have advertisers, they have to keep happy. So if you do something that pisses off Tide or Toyota or or a Michelob light, unbelievable. Yeah, you're beholden to corporations. Yes, because yeah, because like I remember like Comedy Central. I don't know if they do this now or not, but there was a time early aughts. All of a sudden, they're like, okay, past eleven o'clock, we're gonna like we're not gonna censor anything. Yes. But then all the advertisers started basically threatening them to leave. Mm-hmm. So then they went back to censoring everything. Right. Because the corporations are the ones who give the money for advertisements. And yeah, I, I've had so much fun filming this thing. Dude, riding around on a... Here's a little teaser. I was riding around on a one-wheel uh, electric skateboard. Mm. And I've only ridden one of those one time. It was Matt Diavella's when he was on our podcast. He brought it with him because yeah. he knew that I would love to try it out. So I was in the parking garage using it and totally got the hang of it. That was a year ago. And then I was, made the suggestion of, oh, well, let's because they wanted to do a longboard. Uh, our production team wanted to do a, a longboard for the scene. And I'm like, let's get one of those one wheels. And they're like, can you ride that? I'm like, yeah, I can ride that. Dude, that was it was so nerve wracking like the first like thirty minutes, uh-huh. but eventually I got it and it was so much fun. Um, that is kind of that's one of my object days right now. Uh-huh. But I'm like I don't know where I would use it. It's the only thing like I I don't live in a place where I could one wheel to places. I got to drive. So I thought it was perfect for what you were doing because it seems like an impulse purchase too. Like mm-hmm. where a skateboard is just a skateboard, but right. but with this wheelie thing, it's it's trendy or at least it was at one point and then. It, it feels I have to have that sort of thing. So it was a great decision for that you did. And we had Chris, who was the uh, DP on director of photography on Less Is Now. He's doing the uh, direction on on these two projects, and he's such a. I mean, he's so talented. He's a the, savant. The man. reason we started working with him is Matt wanted to work with him. He's like, uh, I wanted to hire someone who's more talented with a camera than me. Yeah. And he's like, which I, I know, Chris. Possible. I know, right? Yeah. And so now Chris has been, and he is, he is, yeah, as you said, he's a savant. He's a a Mozart of the camera. He really understands the camera. Now, Matt, if you're listening to this, I'm not saying Chris is better than you. I know that Matt thinks that. No, Matt said that. I'm not saying. Oh, no, I know that. But I'm just saying, like, Matt is correct in the sense that Chris is as, I feel like his his work is as good as Matt's. Like, the quality is definitely there. Yeah, I agree. And and so, and, and. it's been great working with him and Jacob over at Booklight. They're they're phenomenal. Their whole crew. But we 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 filmed some stuff this week that we're putting together so that we can try to get some financing for both of these films. Mm-hmm. Well, the other one is uh, digital minimalism. 
film series, docu-series mm-hmm. called Scrolling is the New Smoking. Mm-hmm. And so one is about the sort of pernicious side of advertising advertising no one really knows like people know it because they listen to our podcast they say we say advertisements suck every week but really it's like oh we just come to expect that yeah that's how i get my content for free is i have to labor through 17 minutes of podcast ads every episode and oh by the way i hear you know bill simmons sandwiching roundup ads between mcdonald's and 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 milwaukee's best or whatever no it's a uh, uh, Coors Light or whatever the beer he's advertising and I, there was one ad he did and he was like uh, it, it was uh, Michelob I think and he was talking about how well, if you go to an event it's just like uh, your body's a race car and Michelob is the fuel God. And it's like you're really saying this. You're 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 peddling poison between two other poison ads. Yeah, and I mean really I heard this joke the other day. So I forget who said it. He said, do you know how they make Sprite? They take a lemon and a lime and they throw them out and they fill a can full of poison. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Man. And, and that's all of these things. We're, we're advertising poison and people are now watching what they say so that advertisers, guys in suits who do a mediocre job of creating faux art so they can make more money on their quarterly bonus. It's full art. Bo- Is that called fart? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And so we're beholden to, to them. And it waters down everything that we get because, well, you know, this, this corporation has l- learned that we can't say, uh, fuck this. We have to say F this mm. because otherwise we've learned that you know, 17% of our audience will buy less Charmin as a result. And it's like, oh, okay. So it's it's making art for the lowest common denominator. Josh, I don't want to make people feel guilty. Like, you know, I don't want I don't want to judge people's morals. I don't want to like, you know, make them feel bad for the decisions that they make. Yes, I agree with you. Except <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to whoring yourself out for advertisements. Yeah. Like that is something. It is a it's a problem in society. It is a problem that no one even thinks about. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is like advertisements, you know, I'm, if I had to wave a magic wand and make them all go away, yeah, I would do that. But that's perspective. That's like my own perspective. And um, that's a selfish thing to do. Mm-hmm. But what I would like to see happen is more deliberate types of advertisements, not just this barrage of, I mean, like, you know, Vermont where they, you know, outlaw the billboards, things like that. Sao Paulo, they got rid of. So they, yeah. they, they made, because you know who actually made it? The people. The, they asked the people, hey, would you prefer to have no advertisements outdoors? And they were like, yes. Yeah, of course. They voted on it. Yeah. Uh, and, and they removed all the billboards. So it was 15,000 billboards, 300,000 other ads. So bus ads, taxi ads, pile-on ads, mm-hmm. all, all of these ads that we don't even notice. So you know, Forbes says we see between four to 10,000 advertisements a day. Now, Bex and I were doing this experiment and we're gonna be doing it in this film that we're working on where what if you had to buy everything and every ad that you saw? Mm. And we were just driving back from a state park. And so it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. And even almost immediately we were like, oh great, I have to get this tooth whitening product. And now I have to get this beer. And oh, now I have to get the true green lawn care service plan. (laughs) 
Uh, I have to get the Papa John's Epic Stuff Crust Pizza. Whoa, whoa, you're going too far now. <laughs> I want some Epic Stuff Crust Pizza from Papa John's. <laughs> the Mountain Dew Baja Blast. What was what was so interesting about that very short experiment was like in 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 five minutes it was glaringly obvious that like oh if you just consume what's being advertised to you like you were saying earlier you end up poisoned you end up physically poisoned you end up mentally poisoned you know spiritually Mm. poisoned like it just i can't think of an exception right now i'm sure there is so sure there's always an exception yeah but but you're right like the vast majority of advertisements it's it's yeah it's poisoning your mind and quite often your physical body yeah yeah. advertising is is a type of poison and it is often advertising other poisons to us the roundup thing is the most absurd example i've seen so many roundup commercials during the playoffs this year and it's it's like you know this is we like this has been proven to be poison it's a literal carcinogen yes people are getting from what i understand people are getting cancer from it right yes there's a strong possibility that my brother-in-law yes got lymphoma from that product yeah like the strong possibility because he works around it all the time yeah he he does landscaping stuff and it's funny because like i feel like we're putting ourselves on this pedestal being mightier than thou but like it's a real problem man like yeah. it's it's uh i'm just i'm just voicing out loud like i'm not trying to be we're not trying to be judgmental and make people feel bad but there's 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 a problem that needs to be addressed well, let me say this it, it's not a moral stance it has to do with taste if anything for us so it's not that we're better because we don't do advertisements yes we could sell out yeah uh, and make a million dollars you know I've never made a million dollars in a year, but if I we peppered everything with ads, yeah, we could. We certainly could, right? And and let's do it, man. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Just one year of slimy, greasy advertisements, <laughs> and then we'll retire and be miserable the rest of our lives. It's like that bank heist movie. Just one more job. Oh my god. Yeah, just yeah. Uh, one more year of advertising. That movie yeah. you made me watch a couple of weeks ago. I forget which one that was, but it was a Jason Statham oh. movie. Remember? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Was it called uh, Wrath of Man? Yeah, we went to go see that. We were the only people in the theater, I think. Uh, and not recommended. Yeah, yeah, Unfor- I wouldn't. Unfortunately, that's that's another one. This is not an advertisement for a Jason Statham movie. <laughs> anyway, back on track here. <laughs> this is not a a moral stance. It's like if you put a bunch of yard sign political yard signs in your lawn that's not an immoral thing no but it lacks taste yeah and no one enjoys that no one likes what you've done no one's asking for you to put ads in your podcast Mm. or your service or whatever even the creators the youtube creator the writer the podcaster the tv show uh showrunner any of these people they don't want ads in their art they don't want product placement they don't want commercial interruptions they don't want sponsorships they don't want interruptions no one asks for them not the creators not the consumers not the community no one wants them and yet well i guess i have to do it Mm. uh you know it's what everyone does no you don't have to do it yeah man if, if we if we couldn't have the wonderful support of our patrons um, if people weren't willing to support us, it, not just through you know uh, Patreon, um, but you know, but anything else that 
people purchase, you know, of our, th- like that's their way to support us. Yes. If people weren't willing to support us and the only way we were able to make money was through advertisements, I would seriously question whether or not what we were doing was adding value exactly. and whether it was even worth publishing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, it would just be interesting to see other people ask that question. Like, oh, if I took advertisements away, could I still make a living and, and do what I love to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and if the answer is no, then, you know, is what you're doing that important? Or that meaningful, right? You know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we get messages all the time from people who feel discontent with what what they're. It's like if you don't believe, if you believe that you know, debt is uh, removes people's freedom, mm-hmm. but you work in the payday lender industry, you're going to feel a type of discontent. Yeah, and I get that you do that to earn a paycheck. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not a moral stance. I'm not saying that debt is immoral. Right. But if it doesn't align with the person you want to be, then of course you're always going to feel a discontent around it. I mm. could talk myself into doing ads. I was just thinking mm-hmm. that. I was going to ask you. Yeah. To please expound. Well, I just think about it, like, uh, oh yeah, well, well, the way I'll justify. Here's how people always justify it to me. Whenever we have podcast guests on here afterward, they're always they'll always ask, well, how do you do this without ads? And it's like. Well, we just don't put ads in the podcast. <laughs> right. Yeah, but how do you do that? Yeah, I, yeah. By not getting ads. Yeah. We were having lunch with a friend of ours, Max Lugavere, the other day. And um, he he's like, but I, I spend most of my time like working with different brands. Like, what do you do with your time? I'm like, I just write mostly. Right. He's like, I don't know I what, how much time that would free up. I didn't have to like work with all these different brands. He's like, and the, th- the excuse I always hear is like, yeah, but I, I only do with products and services that I really believe in. I'm like, and it's really easy to justify it that yeah. way. Mm-hmm. I have, I have found myself going down that road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, Absolutely. well, I, yeah, I only talk about products and services that I believe in as well. I just don't get paid for it. Right. Yeah. Leo Babalta used to have ads on his website when he first started yeah zenhabits.net yeah and it was uh advertisements for things that he truly believed in things that he used mm-hmm. he had you know it wasn't like um like he worked out the ad space on his own it wasn't just like a you know here's some coding for an ad space and then now we'll leave it up to google to like the algorithm to insert the yeah. ads like he was very deliberate with it and you know i guess if there was a way to do it like that's how i could justify doing it and even for him yeah he, he decided like hey this doesn't really align with what i want and I, there's right. something there's something here and I, it's this unnameable thing this is we we, we set aside the definitions mm-hmm. and realize like oh this just doesn't sit right with me yeah and at the end of the day if it doesn't sit right with me then that's why I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And if doing advertisements sits right with you, like it does with someone like Max Lugavere, then okay. We're not here to judge. No, and, and, and again, it's not immoral for you to have advertisements on your podcast mm-hmm. or on your uh, TV show or on wherever, your website. It's not an immoral thing. It's just for me, I don't, it doesn't sit right with me. And yeah. so I choose not to do it. And because we're not beholden to those advertisers, we're not cancelable. The only person who can cancel us is you. If you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I don't like the podcast anymore. Right. I don't want to support these guys anymore. I don't like them. Mm. Then, okay, then you can personally cancel us from your life. Not mm. in general, but from your life. And that's mm. okay. You can unsubscribe at any time. Yeah. The other project we're working on scrolling is the new smoking. It's about digital minimalism and, and 
Uh, that was fun in a different way. We spent all day yesterday in a bar, a fake bar, mm-hmm. but a bar, uh, a, a movie set bar. Mm-hmm. And we had a bunch of we, extras, p- people who listened to the podcast, come out. And they were in the bar with us, but we made it so they were all on their phone all day, just scrolling. And you and I were walking around a pool table, sort of playing a game of pool and just talking about things. And you got to see the absurdity of like how all of us have turned into zombies and our heads are just tilted downward, faces are lost in glowing screens whenever we're at line at the coffee shop or at Chipotle mm-hmm. or at Whole Foods or wherever. It's all of us are sort of lost in the the glow of these six inch screens. And so we're going to do this digital minimalism experiment, which was first uh, pioneered by Cal Newport. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a digital declutter uh, Mm -hmm. for 30 days. So we're going to have a group of people who do this. So stay tuned if you're interested in in participating in this. We'll figure out a a small group of people who are going to do this. And then Ryan and I are going to do an extreme version (laughs) of the digital declutter. I'm not going to tell you about that yet, but it's it's two different extremes, actually. Yeah. And it's funny because like, you know, we're just as guilty as anyone else. That's why we're doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's, this isn't like commentary on look what society, like we are part of society. Yes. We are also guilty of the screen taking our attention away. I'm, I'm guilty of buying things from ads. I'm guilty of being susceptible to ads. Yeah. I'm, I'm guilty of wanting more money because society has told me that it, that is what you're supposed to want yeah. is more money. Mm-hmm. All that said, I'm not allergic to money, mm. but I'm not willing to do anything just to make that get that bag. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's like, no, it's uh, okay, bag. great. If we can make money doing what we're doing, we can pay people fairly, we can pay ourselves fairly as well, we can save for retirement. Wonderful. Uh, we can if we can bring on some new interns and pay them regularly, uh, and not just you know, even when I posted the intern thing people were like, and it said these are paid positions interns what you want people to work for free for you it's like mm-hmm. but it says paid position right there yeah and it's just like well, you, well people want to assume the worst out of everyone and social media going over to the scrolling is a new smoking thing has brought out the worst in many of us mm-hmm. it's brought out the worst habits it's brought out the distractions in us mm-hmm. it's brought us into the screen because what is in that screen is so compelling in the moment that it actually takes us away from the moment the beauty of the moment there's nothing loving about immersing ourselves in a screen all day mm. not that it's wrong it's not morally wrong to do that mm. Man, it's just we're missing out on something else. And it's no wonder that when you get that screen time report, and I've spent seven hours on the phone and the computer today, what am I? I feel empty. Mm. I feel productive, but I feel empty. Mm. Oh my God. Yeah. Maybe I'm walking through life a paragon of productivity, but I'm actually missing out on living. Yeah. We've got a bunch of surprise questions to dive into today. I do. I thought maybe we would talk about that. We've, uh, we've talked about how every day is a gift. We've talked about, ooh, before we get into these questions, Ryan, mm. I wrote down gratitude practice isn't the same thing as gratitude. Hmm. Uh, Bex and I were talking about this on How to Love, her podcast, and, mm-hmm. and I thought this was just fascinating because this, was, this goes back to the doing thing, right? Like gratitude is actually is not something we can do. It is um, something, it's something we feel. Like, I know you've woken up next to Mariah before and just felt an overwhelming sense of gratitude. Sure. Right? Yeah. And and there wasn't there wasn't three steps you had to get there, right? <laughs> it wasn't the 12 yeah. steps to 
to a more grateful morning or something. Yeah. And so it's weird because I find what we try to do is we try to reverse engineer what actually appears in us naturally. Mm. It's it's a very American thing to do. <laughs> I'm going to make myself happy. I'm going to do happy. I'm going to do peace. Yeah. And then when I get peace, I'm going to do more of it. Yeah. I'm going to be more peaceful than you. Mm. And it's like, oh, well, then we don't actually understand peace. And I think gratitude is is, is very similar to that where it's not something that I can reverse engineer and figure out the seven steps to be grateful is gratitude appears when it's authentic, when it's sincere, when it's genuine, when it comes from a place of understanding mm. or I can try to affect it. I can gratitude journal and I can say, here are the seven things I'm grateful for today. Mm. Nothing wrong with doing that, No, but it's not actually going to make me grateful. Either I am grateful or I am not grateful. And what is gratitude in that respect it's a simple awareness for what is true around me yeah. it's accepting things for how they are not changing them into well if the world was just a little bit different then then i'd be grateful yeah i think the practice piece can help develop the muscle a bit of being able to acknowledge what gratitude feels like you know, mm -hmm. I do think there's yeah. a certain point that some people get to where they just like, you don't really know what it feels like to be grateful about things, Yeah. you know, or for things. And why is that? Do you think? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I have a hypothesis. Yeah. Like I see it a bit in Ella, right? Like she's eight and like the idea of gratitude to her, like it's, yeah. it's kind of not there. Yes. And I just I don't yeah. know if that's a conditioning thing, right? Mm. Um, or if it's just like some people struggle to feel the feeling of gratitude. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I agree with you that the practice isn't the point, right? Mm. Practicing gratitude, the the act of of uh, consciously engaging with it. Mm -hmm. and writing down the three things or whatever um that isn't being grateful yeah, but yeah. i do think it can help like retrain your brain and your physiology to being able to sense gratitude when it does come up and to be able to see it and be like yes. oh that's what that feels like and to be able to then turn to that more frequently because it does feel good to, sure. to be in gratitude to recognize when gratitude arises mm -hmm. and so uh, yeah i th with ella yeah. she's a child child are ch children are impulsive and our natural impulses uh as you have mentioned earlier josh our natural impulse is to run away from pain to yes. run away from misery yes and unfortunately for some reason our impulses are programmed to pick up mostly on misery right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and pleasure for that matter too right yeah but the gratitude piece of it it's almost like an in-between thing where it's like it's uh -huh. not you're not necessarily experiencing this ephemeral pleasure uh -huh. you're just you're taking a moment to appreciate the things that you have so the practicing the gratitude practice is for me like i think it's a great thing to do it's not it's not practicing gratitude as much as it's creating a perspective that can help you appreciate what you have in those moments of feeling misery or feeling pain yes and 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 because i often i will focus on what i don't have yes mm. you know and uh 
something like a gratitude practice can help change your state and uh, help you look at the things that you do have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's often like when I'm, <laughs> I know this is so silly, but like, you know, I go to work out and I'm like, oh, I don't want to do it, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, well, imagine if I, imagine if I had no arms Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, boom, I was given. I'd definitely fight you if you had no arms. <laughs> <laughs> I'd still kick your ass. Well, literally, you might. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but imagine if you had no arms, no legs. <laughs> I'd throw him in a river and call him Bob. <laughs> <laughs> or you take me water skiing and call me Skip. <laughs> I'd put him on a wall and call him Art. <laughs> or you put me on the floor and call me Matt. <laughs> <laughs> but if you know then i imagine like okay if all of a sudden like someone made with magic one and i had my arms back like how thrilled would i be to be like oh my god i want to use these yes yeah right where yeah. so it's like it's weird like how going through that thought experiment yes it helps me appreciate like dude you have the freaking arms to work out like do it. Yes. Like yeah. it's, this is something you should appreciate. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny. I really appreciate that perspective, Ryan, because that's exactly what is happening with Ella. Like mm. she just, I think she sees the negative of life yeah. like we all do. Yeah. Um, but just maybe to a, a larger degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious. Have you asked her like, like, I mean, you know, just randomly like, Hey, anything you're grateful for today? Like, have you have you tried this with her at all? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And I've also tried reframing in the moment when mm. like I can clearly see like she's kind of obsessing about the negative, mm. you know, and I try to help her bring in some of the positivity and yeah. she's, she's so negative about everything. It's unbelievable. This ice cream's too cold. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, or, but, yeah. or you take her for ice cream and, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I, I say she can get ice cream. Uh-huh. And she's pissed she can't get a double scoop or whatever. Oh, and it's like, yeah. you know, she just. She, yeah. She, she, so I, I, my hypothesis is, and really the point I'm trying to get across is don't mistake gratitude practice for gratitude. Right. It's not the same thing. Absolutely not. But as Ryan and, and Bex have illuminated here, sometimes it can help us appreciate. Sam Harris has this exercise that um, whenever he, he's feeling sort of like, down in the moment he imagines that what if he got into a car crash that paralyzed him right how much money would he give uh, time would he give whatever would he give to get back just to his normal state that he's in right now right whatever that quote-unquote negative state is. yes yes it's unfortunately ella does ella doesn't have the ability to have that perspective (laughs) right right um but she she uh it goes on to what you're saying with impulse, but I think there's something to add on top of the impulse. I also think the other reason it's hard for anyone to be grateful is because we're so heavily distracted. Mm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the scrolling is a new smoking thing is really about distraction. Mm-hmm. It's about digital clutter. Mm. And, and so we've cluttered our lives with stuff. We've cluttered our lives with activity. We've cluttered our lives with doing. Mm. And then we think we can do our way out of the doing. Yeah, we could bring in more stimulus. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's and so because we're so distracted, you can't it's impossible to be distracted and grateful at the same time. Mm. The only way to be grateful is to be in awareness. Yeah. Mm. To see things for how they are. Yeah. We got some surprise questions here. How about we dive into Amy's question? 
How do you recommend I teach my eight-year-old daughter? Wait a minute. This sure this wasn't Bex's question. How do I teach my eight-year-old daughter about quality versus quantity regarding gifts? She leans very far in the direction of preferring quantity. Can I start on this one by saying this, Amy? We we need to be careful here because we can accidentally moralize this, mm-hmm. and we could say, well, quality is better than quantity. Mm. Well, that's not always true. I'm sure you can think of seven different examples where quantity would be better. You go to the beach and you're like, well, they had three really quality grains of sand. Mm-hmm. Like, well, no, I, I kind of wanted more sand than that, yeah. right? And so there are plenty of examples where... I could totally do without the sand. <laughs> Ironically, so could you, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'd prefer, prefer no, no sand on the beach. No, but you're absolutely, no, but you're absolutely right. Like, you, you, there's only three grand... That's not a beach. Right. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. And so we have to identify, like, yes, there's a, a mixture of quality and quantity. And so let's not presuppose that quality is good and therefore get the quality gift and that is therefore good and get the quantity gifts and that is bad mm-hmm. that's that's not the truth right uh, the truth is sometimes quantity trumps quality and often quality uh, trumps quantity and so we need to figure out what what is appropriate in in the moment and so mm. how do you teach your eight-year-old daughter about quality versus quantity i mean you you can intellectualize this with an eight-year-old. You you start to learn how quickly, how absurd intellectualizing something. <laughs> Trying to explain it to your, yeah. Yeah. You can imagine. I mean, and that's where it comes in, like, as a parent, you you know, you help your kids set boundaries. Like, you know, allow yes. them to make as, it's like, say yes to them as much as you can. But there are times when you're going to have to, like, set some boundaries. Uh and, but you're never going to like make your kid understand anything. I mean, you set the boundary, you say yes as much as you can, and then, you know, you help them, you know, uh, work through the lessons that they're learning because they're going to learn some lessons. It's like the, you know, the kid who climbs a tree, right? I'm going to learn so much more from a child than they're going to learn from me, though. Yeah, yeah. 100%. And uh, in fact, especially because we are so enculturated by... Uh, we're acculturated really we're both but we're we're acculturated by society to be i'll just call it non-human bax and i were watching these uh hadza videos the other day this mm-hmm. there, there was a guy who spent some time with uh the hadza tribe one of the hadza tribes in tanzania there's not many hadza left unfortunately they're really the only to the best of my knowledge, they're really the only original people that still exist in mm. yeah, uh, in, in the sort of hunter-gatherer form where there's no agriculture. They may exist in other continents, but in, in Africa, uh, in Tanzania specifically, the Hadza are sort of thought of as the sort of original hunter-gatherer, mm. yeah, the original people. This is how all humans were at one point in time. Yeah. They were like the Hadza, no matter what continent they were on. Mm. They were similar to the Hadza. And you see the childlike joy and happiness, whatever you want to call it in them, the the living in the moment. And and they're not manufacturing meaning the way that we manufacture meaning. Mm-hmm. And so there are a few things that really stood out as we were watching this, Bex. You know, the first thing, they were asking, like, what is the most important thing in your life? And, you know, what, what do you find to be most meaningful? And, and he thought about it really carefully for a moment. He looks up and he just says, Meat. <laughs> Meat is the most important thing in our life. Yeah. Now he says it in, in their language. And 
and so it's translated on the screen, you know, subtitles. Yeah. And I see like, oh, like we, we try to we try to say we all we manufacture all of these sort of meaningful things to us, right? And it's, that's not wrong, but it's simply understanding like the essence, the, the childlike essence is uh, when they think of important, it's like what sustains me, yeah. right? In fact, he said, can you think of a time when you were most happy in life? And even phrasing the question that way, you, you could tell they don't think the same way that we do. That it's not about past and future for them. Mm -hmm. It's always about the moment in mm -hmm. time that they're in. And so there wasn't a specific time because they don't have that same kind of recall. Uh, their, their language, I don't think, even provides for the sort of different tenses that way. Mm -hmm. And so, but they said, what, where's the time you're most happiest? And he said, oh, whenever we have meat and honey, we are happy. Mm. And you realize like, oh, like <laughs> for us, it's like the Lamborghini, it's the, it, it's the, you know, the Tesla or, yeah. or, or it is the, the trip to Paris, you know, buying the house, the traveling, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. And for him, it's like, as long as I can sustain myself, then he's, just I get the calories happy. I need, yeah. then we are happy. Really what he's saying is, as long as we're able to live, I'm happy. And this is what is required to live. Yeah. Well, it makes me think of, um, I don't know, man. I don't want this to come across like insensitive or like just be taken out of context. But I think about like um, our cat mm -hmm. and like that's what makes our cat happy. Gets to sleep and gets to eat. Yes. And like that's what makes our cat happy. So there is a, there is a natural occurrence mm -hmm. that we have of just being satiated, like can create contentment and happiness but it's like we have evolved and evolution isn't good or bad. It's just, it just is, it just is. We have evolved to like constantly want to transcend the current state that we're in rather than enjoying and appreciating the moment that we're in. Right. Like we're so worried about transcending to the next level. Like we never even get to enjoy where we're at. That's such a good point. Cause your cat is never thinking about what is the next level? Right. How can I up my game? Right. How can I win? Mm -hmm. There's no concept of, of that sort of winning. What were some of the other things the Hadza were talking about that were just really fascinating? So that we, we talked about the, the happiness thing. Oh, he, he, he said, when you look up at the, the moon and, and the stars at night, what, what do those mean to you? <laughs> and he said, Nothing. I love that. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah, they, they don't. They don't mean anything. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. They're just there. <laughs> so, what's your sign? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, and he said, "What happens when, uh, in your culture, what happens when someone dies?" Mm. He said, "Oh, we put them in a cave and we move." Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when we die. I put you in a cave and we move. And, and one of uh, the the kids came in to correct uh, to help uh, sort of embellish the story a bit uh, with the he said oh but with the meat thing like what 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 is the thing that uh, what's the most important thing to you he goes yes it is meat but also water <laughs> if we if our th throats get too dr dry we die mm. and I was like oh okay like they have a better understanding of what they need mm -hmm. than we do because we think we need all of these things. We have all of these imaginary values and these mimetic desires as we talked about a few weeks ago on the podcast with Luke Burgess. Uh, the episode was called Wanting, if you want to go back and check it out. And he wrote a book about mimetic desire 
and really it's like all that means is our culture has thrust all everyone's wants onto us and everything we want isn't actually what we want because the Hadza doesn't want anything we want yeah. they asked in fact they asked them what do you uh what do you think of city food and he goes it doesn't taste very good <laughs> that's it because it has all these seed oils and all this other stuff right yeah. and even paul saladino was talking about this how how yeah, unfortunately, seed oils have even permeated all the cities in, in Tanzania now. Yeah. And, and so, like, wow. th there's all, in, in fact, the uh, people tend to desire that more because it's a different flavor profile and it's one you're supposed to want. Mm. Well, uh, now it's they're, it's causing all these other health problems to have all this vegetable oil and you know, the, the highly refined oils, which are a different type of poison. We talk about advertising being poison, really refined oil is is not meant for human consumption right yeah man it's it, just it's like giving me a realization of again like we want to be happy in a stimulated world and <laughs> it's impossible to like be content in in such in a stimulated sense so it's it's like i like me personally i'm speaking from my own desires where i want to live like the hadza but I also want to have a Tesla. Yeah, doesn't doesn't work. Maybe, and, and yeah. I think I think there is a detente here. Hmm. I, you're right. You can't be the Hadza and have a Tesla. Although right. you could bring a Tesla to them, and yeah, it'd be it'd be interesting to see what they did right. with it or whatever. Yeah. But um, I, I think they wouldn't find much use for it. Yeah, right. And uh, it would. Uh, what would we do with this? They don't have roads. Right. And so like it does it doesn't help them do what they're doing. Oh, he asked. So what's what's your biggest fear? That was the that was my favorite of all the questions he asked. What is your biggest fear? And you know we all have an answer to that. Like oh, I fear being forgotten, or I fear like not being loved, or uh, being I alone, whatever. Yeah, yeah I fear. Yeah, I fear. That's a great. One. I fear being alone. And they asked the leader of the tribe, "What's your biggest fear?" And he pauses, very considerate. He looks up and he says, "Lions." <laughs> and it's like, oh yes. <laughs> He has a legitimate fear yeah. of lying. And he paused for another moment. He goes, and elephants. <laughs> and you realize, like, they understand what fear is. We've manufactured fear. It's what Julian Smith mm. calls the flinch. Yes, if someone swings at me, I will flinch. But now I flinch because the stock market went down or Bitcoin is changing and Ethereum and all of these. Oh, no, the price of NFTs are down. Or, oh, my email inbox is full and I have some sort of fear that someone's going to say something that I don't like. Mm. No, lions. Yeah. That's a legitimate fear. Now, to your point, can you form a detente with the Hadza society, meaning you know, natural humanity? That's mm. what we'll call it. They are humans. Yes. Everyone else is faux human. Yes. Uh, <laughs> or here's a better way to put it. Everyone else is societal human. Yes. And there is an inherent falseness to society. Yes. So is there a detente between humanity Hadza's and this fake humanity civilization yes and there's probably about 30 people in the world who are mystics who have figured this out yeah the, the osho for all of the criticism that we can heap onto osho mm -hmm. he's actually probably the example because yeah. he had 90 rolls royces or whatever it was but I don't think he had any attachment to those. No. And so here's the weird thing. We we assign our desire for Rolls Royces or fancy cars or whatever onto him and say, oh, look at this fraud. Where is with him, it could have been like, oh, yeah, it's just art. And 
I drive around in art, mm-hmm. but like, and I think the whole community and everything that went wrong there was awful. And I think they took his his wisdom and bastardized it and turned it into manipulating human beings. Yes, they think, turned it into a society. I think he had like this form form of uh, transcendence. Yes, where he just he was he felt happy with himself, who he was. And he just didn't care what other people did. Like it mm-hmm. was not that he didn't care, but he just he was ambivalent mm-hmm. to um, yes to to whatever people did. And he wasn't interested in convincing them, persuading them. Right. There was an episode of How to Love that we did recently. It was mm-hmm. called uh, Bex has a shirt that says Coercion is not consent, <laughs> and uh, she wears it like seriously. But then also like uh, you know we joke about it all the time because I'm constantly coercing her into having sex or vice versa but not really it takes no it takes no coercion from the two of us mm-hmm. and but the the episode was it was tk actually asked us a question our friend tk coleman and he was like well what do you do if like the one person in your relationship is really intellectual the other person is uh is more like emotion based mm-hmm. how do you persuade them why do you want to persuade someone right. osho had no desire to persuade anyone into being enlightened or anything else i just imagine him always responding with as you say i understand yes and like just yeah yeah instead of like trying to make people be a certain way yes he just allowed them to be who they were right and unfortunately you know it went to where it went Mm -hmm. um but yeah i I agree he is someone mariah reads a lot of osho Mm -hmm. and it's funny because she like read a couple books and then all of a sudden she pieced it together she was like wait a minute, Osho's the guy after like two books. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, yeah, I was like, that's why he was able to uh, gather so many people in one spot though is because he was an enlightened person. Naval Ravikant actually talked about how Osho, has be- his work has become controversial over the last few years because yeah. of the whole Wild Wild Country thing. Yeah. He said that might make it actually more appealing in, yeah. in, in some ways. In some way, yeah. Because there, there's still humanity in in, in that, right? It's yeah. not he's not Jesus Christ or Buddha, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And and what I you know I'm yeah. No one has profoundly affected my life more than Kapil Gupta, mm-hmm. but I think one of the reasons, and I think Anthony DeMello is you know, a, a close second, mm-hmm. but Anthony DeMello was a mystic. He 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 had a, a, a deep understanding that um and he was an enlightened person mm. kapil gupta is it's like witnessing someone on his way toward an enlight- enlightenment mm. he's pr- in his 50s probably mm-hmm. and you you see sort of what he's doing is he's unraveling the societal programming that was there for the first whatever 40 years of his life mm. and all of the screw-ups he, he sometimes talks about like the terrible things he's done as a parent trying to quote parent his children mm-hmm. instead of trying to learn from mm-hmm. the children right mm-hmm. and and when when i when i look at his his work I, what i see as a person especially the evolution of the last three or four years of his work you see how he's becoming he, he's he's moving toward that enlightenment and some of the work his earlier work will resonate more with some people and then the more recent work that he's done he's closer to enlightenment in a way and and because of that it doesn't resonate with a lot of people because well a lot of people are so far from that Mm. and so i think what with what ryan and i do it resonates with people because ryan and i are so far from enlightenment (laughs) that uh it's 
it's under but we we are developing this understanding of hey the clutter isn't going to make you happy yeah. but now there's this new layer of yeah of course the decluttering also doesn't make you happy yeah. right. it makes you more organized <laughs> it, 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 it makes it, your ocd more happy it, it makes uh it, it makes me less miserable yes mm, yeah yeah and, and and yet we must we often trade less misery for joy we trade our joy for less misery yeah yeah i want to go back to amy's question though real quick because like how do you recommend i teach my eight-year-old daughter about quality versus quantity regarding gifts and i think that the trap that i've fallen into is exactly what she says how do i teach my child you don't need to teach your child anything regarding quality versus quantity that truth if she's open and paying attention if you don't <laughs> if you don't try to change her even though right now you know her preference sounds like it's it's quantity if you don't try to change her and she's open she'll probably discover that so, at some point like oh i don't need all these things mm. i i just want the one good thing yes. or maybe she won't yeah. and that's okay like right. there's no this way is right and this way is wrong. And I think especially with our kids, the more we bring in that moralizing, the harder it is for them to figure out who they actually are and to feel confident mm. in them as per as people. And again, I'm saying all this because I'm so bad at it, right? Well, and I'm, I mean, I'm learning a little bit by bit, like how to not be the the teacher the quote-unquote parent who instills the right values mm. you know and mm. um yeah the implicit message in amy's question is how do i teach her the good instead of the bad mm -hmm. or how do i convince her that this right. is good and right. this is bad yeah right and anytime we convince someone even if it's our own child we try to convince them of something it places us on a pedestal mm -hmm. i love what you said there Bex. you said you don't need to teach your child anything that will sound crazy to some parents who are watching this or listening to, to this mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and we just spent a ton of time on this maximal episode we're an hour and a half in at this point of this maximal episode and we talked about how persuasion is not consent trying to persuade your kid to do something and ryan a moment ago talked about boundaries setting up boundaries for your child well there's only one reason we have to set up boundaries for our children it's because we've placed them into a society that will damage them yeah and so some boundaries if you are living in society are necessary ella you can't play in the tr in the street mm -hmm. because a car will hit you and it will kill you mm -hmm. now the hadza that we were talking about a moment ago there's no street for their kids to play in mm -hmm. there there's no parenting going on with real humans the hadza because there is not an, a society around them to inflict pain and misery onto them no but there are boundaries still right they teach their kids about lions yeah yes. elephants yeah yes right you know, um, the things that will harm them. Right, right. So there are boundaries. Yes. But yeah, the, the teaching, um, especially with respect to like, I, at least my view of it right now is like, is this is good and this is bad. Mm 
right? Like you can teach them how to shoot a bow and arrow or whatever. You can teach them how to go hunting for deer. Yeah. You can, you can teach, teach them, them anything mechanical. Right, right. There are things you can teach your children and it's not right or wrong. Yeah. But um, I think what you're, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no, I think what ahead. you're trying to say is, is that you don't need to convince your child of anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's, I think that's the context of what teaches here. Yes. Yeah, yeah, there are absolutely. mechanical teachings that you need to teach a kid how to read and write, right? Um, I mean, even that, like, Kids will learn if they're around people that know how to read and write, that mm-hmm. read and write on a regular basis. Kids will learn how to read and write without we, having we, to be taught. We, and I'm hmm. I'm literally experiencing this intensely right now with Ella because she has been slow to learn in air quotes how to read. Mm. She has not um, been receptive to the teaching that she's received on mm. reading, mm. and instead of like, I, I think what we think is, oh, if we I just teach her this way, this way, this way, then she'll get it at some point. Mm. No, she'll get it when she's not feeling pressured and stressed and anxious mm-hmm. about it. Mm. When when you're not forcing it upon her, when you're not, and, and she's started to you know actually feel the, bad mm. right about herself mm-hmm. because she's having, she's being told indirectly that she's not good enough yeah. because she she hasn't learned this thing. Right. And I think that's, I, I know that's not what Amy's doing with, with teaching her daughter about quality over quantity. But in a way, when, when we do this sort of stuff, we're saying your preference for quantity is bad. Mm. And kids internalize, some kids obviously more than others, but like they, they'll internalize that and, and see it as like, you think I'm bad or you think part of me is bad, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I, I we'll get back to that. I'll just repeat this because we might make this a quickie for YouTube here. But I, I think that we mistake quality as good, quantity as bad. Mm-hmm. But as we said a moment ago, if you go to a beach with three grains of sand, you're going to ask for more quantity. So it's always going to be situational. Mm-hmm. It's going to be personal as well. Yeah. And if your child does prefer quantity with respect to something over quality, we don't need to moralize that and say, well, that's actually wrong. Here's the better way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yes, for me and for Bex and for Ryan, I know that we tend to prefer quality over quantity mm-hmm. in many areas. Like I would rather have four ounces of delicious coffee than 24 ounces of mediocre gas station coffee. Right, right. And yet for someone else, they might say, well, I really want the quantity here. And who am I to convince you otherwise? Right. Well, I'll tell you, sometimes I will take the gas station coffee over the four ounce coffee. I mean, if it's functional... There you go. So, I mean, again, just going back to it's situational. If If I'm looking for caffeine, dude, I have... Drinking many a 24-ounce cups of crappy gas station coffee, on, especially in 2014. All right. Another question here from Gemma. Let's do it. How do I address loved ones that are upset when they realize I gave away a gift they gave to one of our children? We specifically asked for no gifts for our daughter's first birthday, and we got so many. How do we approach this? For instance, what if someone comes over and asks to read the book they gave her? What a weird way to give gifts. Like, imagine Ryan, if I get, hey, Ryan, I got you a, this just reminds me of, and I, I've used this in conversations before, but it reminds me of that Simpsons episode where Homer got the bowling ball for Marge, mm-hmm. and it said, had Homer engraved on it. 
And he's like, if uh, you don't want that, I'll take it. It's like the... Yeah. And th- this is the same thing. So if I give you the bowling ball and now I come over to your house, hey, Ryan, uh, you got a bowling ball I can borrow? When's the last... Yeah. Or when's the last time you went bowling? Yeah. Right. Or did you start bowling? Yeah. Anyway. No, you know, it's interesting. I, it's Gemma, it's not up to you to make other people upset. It's not your fault if someone else is upset. Someone else, if they get upset, it's because it arises in them. <laughs> it has nothing to do with... with uh, it has no... There's no responsibility on Gemma. Uh, I don't know, man. To make someone else upset, I don't know how else to say it. It's like yeah. So, so we we, we use this example. On, but let's let's get let's get even more extreme. And, and just because we need to, we really need to illustrate. Because uh, here's the thing: we feel it viscerally, and I can explain this to you intellectually. Mm-hmm. I can say you can't make anyone else upset. Only they can make themselves upset. And it's not a challenge. Like, of course, if I walk over and slap you in the face, it's going to be upsetting, right? Maybe. Some, uh, but even then, it's upsetting because I said it's upsetting. What if I have a slapping fetish? <laughs> then all of a sudden, now right. I'm not upset. Now I'm turned on. And it's like, right. well, okay. It, even in that scenario, it's situational, right? Even yeah. in that crazy extreme we're not talking about physical violence here. Right. So if you take out physical violence altogether, all which we'll just assume we're, that's not what we're talking mm-hmm. about. We're not talking about anything evil here. Mm-hmm. We're, we're talking about um, someone has a reaction of some sort. Specifically, we're talking about when it comes to gifts. Yes. <laughs> I mean... But let, let's, let's yeah. take it into another arena so you sure. can better understand it. Yeah. I don't like onions. Mm-hmm. You both like onions. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. And, and so what if... All of a sudden, I get upset because you enjoy onions, or vice versa. You want to uh, the, the the better example here to to apply to Jim's question is if you get upset because you want to make dinner, and I say, "Yeah, that's great. I just don't want onions in it." Or I gifted you an onion. Oh, <laughs> like that's really the kind of the head-on example, man. Yes, I like onions. I know you don't like onions, but I'm going to gift you an onion anyway because I like onions. Right. And then I come back later. I'm like, oh, did you, did you cook up that onion? Like, no, I threw it out. Right. I don't eat onions. Right. Yeah. And, I, and I've told you before I don't like onions, right? Because right. it wasn't a surprise. It wasn't like I was like, oh, yeah, man, I, I really like onions. I was lying to you or something right. or, or leading you on or telling some sort of white lie. Yeah. It. White, a white lie is just that's a fancy way to say lie by the way <laughs> right, that's yeah. a, a nice way to say you're lying to me yes yeah. uh, and and so we talk about that in love people use things by the way like there's a whole chapter in there about the truth and how it might be the hardest relationship to heal in our lives because we lie to ourselves and as a consequence we feel as though we must lie to other people and then we tell lies to cover up the lies and it becomes this this sort of decorous dance of of false or half truth telling by the way telling a half truth is telling a full lie <laughs> you can tweet that podcast sean yeah, yeah man and so back to jim's question here yes if ryan gives me an onion and he knows i don't like onions is it is is, is it your fault that i'm upset that you threw away the onion i gave you right yeah exactly and, and, and vice versa Here's the other thing. If I get upset because you gave me an onion, it's still my fault for being upset. 100%. I don't have to be upset. I get to let go of the onion, both literally and figuratively, mm-hmm. and realize like Ryan isn't considerate. But just because he's inconsiderate, mm-hmm. that 
I'm not going to outsource my happiness mm. to his consideration or to his expectations mm. or even to his love or affection or joy. If he gives me appreciation or affection, that's great. Mm -hmm. But I don't need to depend on it for my own source of peace or joy or contentment. So let's talk about the 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 actual like the question as far as actually addressing loved ones who get upset. So you know the, the, my what I would do personally, and this isn't even advice. This is just what I would do. If someone gave me something, I got rid of, them, and they're like, "Where's that thing?" I would say, "Oh, I didn't have room for that. I had to find it a better home." I can't believe you gave away my thing. Blah 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 blah. And I would I, and I would say something along the lines of, "You know, I respect the fact that you want to." show me some love. I respect the fact that you want to contribute to my life. And having that thing in my life was actually causing me a lot of discontent and pain. Mm -hmm. So because I know you want me to be happy, you're going to support me on me getting rid of that thing because I'm actually happier having a more cluttered free space. So that's a difficult conversation to have. And, and you know, people might receive that differently and twist it and get upset. Mm -hmm. But you know, if you are if you're showing love, respect, and uh, understanding, that's all we want. If you're going out of your way to show those three things to your family and they want to get upset, you can, you can honestly absolve yourself of any responsibility of them being upset. Because if, if you're going out of your way to show, show love, respect, and understanding and they're not, like that's not your fault. That's, that's their fault. The problem, the problem is they're shooting all over themselves. Right. You should like this gift. Mm -hmm. You should want the thing that I got you. You should have the same perspective as me. Mm -hmm. I'm right, you're wrong, and therefore you should conform to my ideology. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a recipe for discontent for you and, and for them, yeah. right? And yeah. so, you, yes, Ryan said you want to have this sort of conversation. You probably want to have it beforehand, before the gifts. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, the, the old saying of... of uh, kill Godzilla when he's a baby. Don't wait till he's taking over the city. Mm -hmm. At this point, you're like, okay, I've gotten 17 gifts. I've thrown them out. I didn't like it. People are upset. Now Godzilla's taking over the city. Ooh, and yeah. so with other people, with friends in your life, you can have this conversation when Godzilla is still an egg or a baby. Mm -hmm. and, and you notice the problem then. And it's like, oh, let me, let me readjust my expectations, their expectations, not trying to change them, but letting them know what my preferences are. And you could also kill Godzilla as a baby by going to them before you get rid of the item uh -huh. and say, hey, uh, thank you for that book. We've read it. They enjoyed it. Um, I don't have room for this book. I, ha I have to find a better home for it. Would you like me to give this back to you or would you like me to find a good home for it? Yes. Yeah. Rather than waiting for them to ask you, hey, where'd that gift go? So, uh, yeah, I, I've actually had, when I was doing mentoring, and I still do mentor a little bit, um, but not any new clients, just like past clients. Right. But uh, I've had, uh, you know, students before who I have given that recommendation to with stuff their parents gave them for their house. And I was shocked because the, this particular student, like, went to their mom and was like, hey, I'm, I'm decluttering. I'm getting rid of some of the stuff. Um, do you want it back or do you want me to find it a good home? And their mom was like, "Yeah, get, I'd like to have that back," and it, but but it, mm -hmm. it but it was uh, it was amicable and it wasn't offensive. Right. It, it really helped them get through, you know, that that getting rid of other people's gifts. We got a question here from Libertad. Libertad wants to know: Although I ask people to not bring gifts to my birthday party, how do I address their discomfort with showing up 
empty-handed. So let's talk about why they experience the discomfort. This goes back to the similar answer to what we we talked about earlier. You yeah. can't you can't make them feel comfortable or uncomfortable. Only they can make themselves feel uncomfortable. Now they may react easily to what you do, mm-hmm. and so you can know that about them yeah. and understand that. But by the way, people show up empty-handed or people don't show up empty-handed even when you ask them to. Right. As we've already illustrated with Ella's birthday party. Well, and several other questions. Yes. They're like, I asked people not to bring gifts and Mm -hmm. they brought them anyways. So I would say this. It's not your responsibility to make them comfortable. You can, however, establish a comfortable environment that is welcoming, caring, supportive, and loving. That's the way that you can make someone comfortable without needing them to be comfortable. Totally agree. We got a question here from Melita. Is it fair to deny the people who consider gift giving a love language the joy they get from giving gifts? Gifts. <clears throat> How do we make suggestions for no gifts, consumables, or experiences without hurting their feelings? So I think we're reading this two different ways here. When I first read this, uh, I read it literally so how do we make suggestions for no gifts no consumables or no experiences without hurting their feelings right now you could also interpret it how can we make suggestions for no gifts and instead ask for consumables or experiences it's not written that way but it can be interpreted that way yeah and we and really i think the answer is the same though right yes yeah i mean you go out of your way to express your preference and ask for support and that's all you can do. I mean, you're not denying someone joy. Like, it it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Going back to the onion thing. Uh-huh. Oh, my 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 uh, love language is gift giving. So here's an onion. I love you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then you're like, I don't want an onion. Uh-huh. Like, you're not denying me joy. You're, you're just sharing a preference. And it's up to me to whether or not to support your preference or to feel hurt by some expectation that I've thrust upon you. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Joy does ha- come from a shared experience mm-hmm. with others, uh, whether directly or indirectly. And that's the way that I see joy, at least. Yeah. And so, yes, I can get immense joy from Bex, but it's not about an externality then. Mm-hmm. It's joy within me. Yeah. Right? And so these externalities might enhance or amplify the joy that you experience, but they are not going to make you joyful. It's just like if you have an amplifier, a microphone attached to an amplifier, Mm -hmm. it only amplifies what is already there. So if you're singing into it and you have a terrible singing voice, you're going to have this hideous song that is amplified to the block, right? If you have a beautiful singing voice, then you're going to amplify that. If there's nothing there at all, well, if you amplify zero, multiply by a million, it doesn't matter. It's still zero. Yeah. We have a question here from Gerard. How does one draw the line between living in the moment during celebrations with loved ones versus wanting to take photos and videos to capture memories of those moments? What are some good practices to consider before taking a photo or video? It's easy to get caught up in taking 10 shots of the same moment looking for that perfect photo. Well, let's yeah. talk about limitations or boundaries. I, I can tell you what I do, and I'm not saying you need to do this, but this is what works for me, is I tend to take one photo. And I got this lesson years back from our friend Adam, who took all the original photos for us for our website. And, mm-hmm. 
And he was considering going to a film camera, which I know Jordan has a film camera now, because it forces you to be a bit more intentional with every shot. Because with my iPhone or with a digital camera, yeah. I could take a hundred photos of the same thing. Bah, 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 let's it's get endless. the perfect one, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you have 40 of the perfect one, but you don't use any of it. And now you're combing through all of it, whatever. But whenever I'm at like Ella's birthday party, for example, I took a photo. Or if we're out, you know, when we went to Sedona last, I, we, I took a photo with you, right? And then that was it. Taking the photo then sort of fulfills the impulse to take the photo. But there is also this sort of intentionality. Like even if I screw this up and my thumb is accidentally in the photo, mm -hmm. now that's that's a weird sort of part of it, right? Mm -hmm. Now my thumb is here in the photo and that now it's memorialized. Uh, for the rest of my life and and in this photo so i take one and then i'm done it's sort of like set it and forget it or out of sight out of mind I, i've i've done the thing i've taken the photo the obligatory photo mm -hmm. i've captured that memory so to speak the, because it's not the memory isn't in the thing it's not in the photo either it's actually in us it can yeah. be a trigger for the memory mm -hmm. right but the memory is always going to be in us so i'll take a photo and then i'll enjoy the actual experience yeah i i had this exact experience during ella's birthday party i was like trying to light the candles and i was very very in the moment right there was lot there were lots of things going on and anyhow i we get the candles sort of lit <laughs> they weren't staying lit um and we're all like hurry sing happy birthday so that the candles don't blow out before she can blow them out and like as we're singing happy birthday i'm like oh shit i don't have my camera out i'm not taking any photo like there's going to be no photos of this and so uh -huh. um you know i i did something similar to you i did end up taking a picture or two at that moment and then a picture or two later when she was opening her gifts but um it got me thinking like if the photos are really that important during an event like that like designate someone to take a few photos mm. you know like, that's great you know yeah. have a family member that's like that you ask specifically or even a friend right like we could have i could have tapped any one of the people that was there yes and a just asked them to take a few photos during it and they would have been more than happy to yeah because it's not like the closer you are to the event that's happening the least the less you want to be behind your screen or your camera taking pictures like you mm. want to be immersed in the moment that's right right and so outsource the photo taking to someone else if you really want to be um, engaged with at the time right yeah, yeah. I, I like this and in fact we see it at major functions right when ryan and i have to take photos or something we have jordan do it yeah. or someone else take the photos we're not taking the photos all, on our own mm -hmm. and but at weddings you yeah you, you hire a photographer right although yeah. i will say this you realize how absurd photos become because like who wants to see your wedding photos Dude. So you want to hear something funny about wedding photos? Yeah, go this for it. This is the first sign that like, oh, something is amiss. So I hired a, a photographer for my first wedding. Uh-huh. He's great. Like he perfectly To be capable. clear, your only wedding. Yes. That, we yes, did not to have be clear, a wedding. We did not have a wedding <laughs> for my first marriage and we. wedding. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, hired a, a photographer. He was great. He sent all the proofs back to us, you know, a few weeks later or whatever. I was like, yeah, these are these are awesome pictures. And they were. Mm -hmm. I didn't develop a single one of them. Mm. Not wow. a single one. Yeah. I just didn't bother doing it. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the funny thing about this, like, yeah, uh, when uh, my first marriage, when we had a wedding and there were photos, although it's hilarious um, because it looks like a diversity poster. It's like <laughs> Jamar and Jerome and you. And, uh, anyway, like that. Yeah. yeah. And, and so like and it's all the absurdity, like because you're not used to wearing a tuxedo. They fit weird. And like it, it just doesn't. I don't know. It, 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 there's something about having photos like that where I don't, I don't find it particularly meaningful. But I do find, oh, if I snapped one shot of Ella's eighth birthday, I, I have some of the most hilarious photos of Ella where I'll take because <laughs> of the because of the take one photo rule yeah. that I've set up. It, I'll accidentally capture her face making the she make the craziest faces. I've turned them into emojis on my phone. Mm-hmm. So Ryan knows. Like occasionally, I'll, I, he'll say something I'm surprised by. I send him the surprised Ella face. Or if he sends something that I don't like, I'll send like the frowny, mean Ella face, which I have yeah. quite a few of those. Strangely, <laughs> um, I have one of her smiling. <laughs> for the happy times yes well i think the lesson here is to create boundaries for yourself i mean if you're finding yourself uh, uh discontented ruining the moment then you might want to take a different approach but hey if you're the type of person who likes to be discontented and ruin moments then by all means continue doing what you're doing indeed just stay away from me right diane has a question for us for all of you that's us yes and mm. i want to include sean and jordan on, on this as well for all of you, what are your favorite gifts of those you've ever received? I wanted to, to take this two ways. I wanted to say, what's the? Is, do you have a worst gift you've ever received? Worst gift, best gift. Yeah, and okay. do you have like a favorite gift that you've you've ever? So a least favorite and a most favorite gift that you've wow. ever received. Sean, the least favorite has been sprung upon us, and I instantly knew <laughs> my response. Tell me. Mm-hmm. I got a pair of waders, fishing waders, mm. from my ex-husband for <laughs> like a bowling ball my thing. birthday one year. It's like a bowling ball no. thing. Uh-huh. No. Yep. Oh, wow. Yep. It was like a getting a toaster or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like something that it's you like, had no here, desire Talk to. about, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about, like, imposing your preferences on someone else. I mean, right? in a way, like, he was like, this is what I like to do. I want you to like to do it as well. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah, but it's but, birthday. But, it's a birthday gift for him, though, right? It, yeah, it's exactly right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was the worst. Should I continue on to the best? Yes. So, uh, I think the best was there, there's two really, um, and both of them involve travel and experiences. So the best was the Christmas gift, I believe mm. you gave me. I don't remember giving you a Christmas. Twenty going to Italy. We haven't gone yet. Well, it's next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in 2019, you like put into an envelope, oh, okay. like these printed, um, piece like parts of a uh, trip to Italy. So I don't like, remember any of those? Yeah, <laughs> for a wedding. Okay. In 2020, yeah, uh, for yeah. Yeah. It didn't end up happening, yeah, because yeah, because yeah. COVID, yeah. Um, but yeah, like that was such <laughs> that was such a fantastic gift, and I you know it was like I loved opening the thing, and right. you know. Um, Italy's a place that I'm stoked to one day get to. Yeah. Um, so that was really exciting. And then also like our trip to Sedona, that was like a non-specific gift, but it was like, it's a gift to us. Right. Yes. And I think that going back to, you know, every day being a gift, right. um, we tend to give each other gifts, not at obligatory times, jo- you, Josh and I do. 
Mm-hmm. And um, that works really well for us because we're just like, hey, it's we want to go do something special. And it is special. And it's a gift. It is. Um, yeah. I, um, I You often hear me say like waking up next to you is a gift. And yeah, I, I mean that yeah. literally. And that part of that is because we don't spend every night together. Right. And, and so I know for some people that that doesn't work for them, it works really well for us, but it, it in a way it, it f- uh, a deeper appreciation arises as a result. Wait, this is my favorite gift this right is here. Another favorite gift. If you're watching the video version, she just put on a really sexy pair of, uh, <laughs> of their blue, blue blockers. Yeah. Right? Of glasses. <laughs> yeah. I did get those as a gift for her, but mainly it's like the bowling ball for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Cause now I can't stand up. These so are funny. your waiters. Like, <laughs> yeah. I love, uh, yeah. Mariah's glasses are pretty sexy too. We'll what about off. you, Ryan? Do you have uh, Do you have a? Yeah, I mean, you know what? I'm not going to sit here and talk about my worst gift because I don't want to call anyone out. But I've got a lot of crappy gifts. <laughs> and as far as best gifts go, I was going to say exactly what you said. Like every day's a gift. Today was a great gift. I woke up next to Mariah. Uh-huh. Our cat was cuddling with us. We had some good cuddle time. It was freaking awesome. And yeah, I mean, I just I consider uh, any experience that I have with others as a gift. Mm. Uh, but to be quite honest though, I can't think of a physical thing I've ever been given where I'm like, Oh, that was the best gift ever. Yep. Yeah. I can think, yeah. I can think of a lot of bad gifts, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, as far as good gifts go, I can't think of anything. I'll, I'll take this literally because I think people want a, a literal response to this. So I, I have two gifts that are memorable to me in a, in the sense that like I've held on to them or I enjoy them, mm-hmm. um, or I've gotten some sort of value or appreciate them. And and I continue to appreciate them. Mm. I was I mentioned this earlier, but I have a, a checkbook mm. that someone gave me on my 16th birthday. It's like a it's a leather basic check. It's my normal mm. checkbook. Yeah, and I've had it since I was 16. That's great. And I still use it to write my rent check every month. I think it's the only check I still write. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, I'll have to write a check for something else, but almost never. Mm-hmm. And so every month, once a month, I pull it out to pay rent. And so I have I have a checkbook. Nice checkbook. Yeah, and it's a really nice check. It's a checkbook I'll have for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I'd be just fine without it. Mm-hmm. If I had a cheap plastic checkbook from the bank, it would probably be just as fine. Uh, although I appreciate beauty, and it's a, it's a beautiful piece of uh, yeah, uh, uh, accessory. Uh, the other thing is, uh, and so I, I look at that as a, it's almost a piece of art, right? The other thing that really stands out is our publisher, Celadon, gave us a bowl for when we signed uh, the contract for this book. And it's a sort of handcrafted clay bowl. Bex and I went recently and made some clay bowls. Um, it was It reminds me of something similar to that, but it's, it's this green bowl. I'm going to bring it here to the studio as soon as we finish the studio because I think it'll be a nice little art piece mm. for the studio mm-hmm. and, and for the entryway. We've got like this entryway here where we're going to have a little credenza with a coffee set up. Our own coffee, Bandit Coffee over there. I don't even know what a credenza is, man. Well, I know the word. It's similar to a sideboard. <laughs> I- <laughs> Helpful. Very helpful. <laughs> we're going to get a cyborg? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's going to be awesome. Beep boop. <laughs> Oh, dude! That, right. You know that does make me think of the photo you did, you framed for for Mariah and I. Oh yeah, like that hangs. I I look at that a lot, and like I I appreciate that. It's a, it's a great photo because there's a, a this. So the photo that I got was a it was like an, an anti photo almost. It was an outtake from one of our photo shoots. <laughs> it was uh, Joshua Weaver. Speaking of bandy coffee, he and his wife Sarah were out in Montana, and we were taking photos together, and 
it just happened to be you and Mariah sitting down during a break, and like he came over to snap a photo, and I think it was you both flipped him off. Yeah, it's in Les's now. <laughs> yeah, photo, which is so funny because I tried to get that photo in Les's now from the very beginning. Uh huh. We brought it to like when we recorded the talks. Uh huh. And Matt was like, "We can't put that photo in here." <laughs> but it ended up making it anyway yeah, <laughs> in a different so format, which is th- great. There's this photo of, of you like flipping each other, but like this, there's a there's a joy behind it as well. Mm. It's not a it's not a fuck you. It's mm-hmm. a fuck you. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's, this could be two different things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the thing that stands out to me as like the worst gift I've ever received. This has to do with quantity and quality hmm. is on uh, the wedding day. This was not on our registry anywhere. We received three bread makers, mm. three <laughs> bread makers. Now, I don't eat bread. Mm. And, and so, like, this is the metaphor for the epitome of unintentional gifts. Yeah. The, I'm supposed to buy you something. What do new married couples need? I, you know what? No one will get them. A bread maker. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wrong. Everyone's going to apparently get me a bread maker. <clears throat> and we used one of them once. Mm. Yeah. Ta-da. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. That's it. And so, uh, here's the thing about gifts. I don't like getting gifts. I don't want you to get me gifts. Um, uh, on any sort of special holiday or any obligatory day, I'd, I'd prefer not to have it. I don't need it. I have everything mm-hmm. that I need. I don't want anything more from you. If there's some sort of experience, that's something different. If there's something I ask yeah. for, like if I ask you to rate the podcast on iTunes yeah. or on Apple Podcasts, rather, then please do. Because that's an incredible gift. I rarely ever ask for, for, for a gift. So. Yeah. If you are listening this far into the podcast, we're a couple a couple hours in at this point. <laughs> yes, that'd be a wonderful gift. It'd be so so much better than a bread maker. Mm-hmm. Other than that, the only two things that stand out to me are basically pieces of art. Mm-hmm. So if I were to walk away from this and say, well, art is one of the most intentional things you can do for someone because it's so highly personal. Like you mm-hmm. can't just go. I'm not talking about going to IKEA and getting a print off the wall. That's not art. I mean, it can be, but that's not what I'm talking about when I talk about art. What I'm talking about is, oh, this is, this is crafted one of one just for you. That's special. It's like when you know, we, we keep one piece of art on the fridge here, and it's the, the most recent one right now is uh, the, a dinosaur that Ella drew. Mm. And it's awesome. It looks amazing. Is this just little dinosaur when Ella was probably, I don't know, she might have been six at the time yeah. when she drew it, yeah. right? And if we replace it, we'll replace it with some other piece of art, but we'll have to remove that. And because the last thing I want to do is clutter the space with art because that's not art either. And so it's only meaningful because it's, it's precious in a way. And I'm not making everything precious because I have the ability to do that. We could, we turn into everything, everything into being precious. When we do that, we turn into hoarders. Because to a hoarder, every piece of trash on their floor is precious and mm-hmm. they w- don't want to part with it. Mm-hmm. Now, we all have a bit of that mental disorder. You and I did a whole episode about hoarding and how we're level one or sometimes even level two. Yeah. I think we even fit one or two criteria of a level three hoarder occasionally. Right. And so this is not a judgment it's simply saying that i recognize my propensity to cling to things to treat everything as though it's precious that's a gift or anything else so i don't want anything from you i don't you don't have to give me anything you are enough your presence is enough being able to share this life with you is enough so 
It's my birthday. I want to say thank you to both of you yeah. Happy birthday. for joining me. Thank Happy you. Sean, Sean Jordan, do you have any good slash worst gifts you've ever received? Can you, does anything come to mind? I mean, I think I can't They're not on microphone, so they can't hear them. I right. know. I, I will repeat what they say. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Sean is talking about his wife and his kids. Right. Yes. What about you? Yeah. I received a jar of I love yous. He received a Jordan. Oh, but that's an awesome little experience. That's art. Yeah. So Jordan received an art piece, which was a jar filled with little tiny pieces of paper with I love you written on it. So it was a jar of I love you. I love yous. That's that's awesome. That is that is really cool. What I'm walking away from this with is the more intentional the gift, the 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 greater someone appreciates it, right? Mm. And so whether it's that little green celadon green bowl that the publisher gave us, or the wallet that my godmother gave me when I turned 16, the, the, these there was intention behind it. There was art. There was craftsmanship. There was something there. Yeah. Everything else that is a real gift is not a gift hmm. in the sense that it has a bow and so forth on it. Right. Sean's love for his children and for his wife has nothing to do with gift wrap or something you can purchase from a store. And in fact, anything that can be purchased from a store like a bread maker or a pair of waiters, the these things are either memorable in a way you don't want them to be memorable, mm-hmm. you wish you didn't remember it, or like the vast majority of the gifts, we're all struggling to think of these gifts is because we don't remember these anyway. Mm. We feel obligated to do something that no one's going to find value in. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe it's a gift to simply go without. All right, y'all. Love people use things. We'll see you soon. Thank you, patrons. Happy birthday, Millie. Happy birthday. The Minimalists.